Thank you for listening to the Calvary Chapel Lubbock podcast. Our mission of teaching people to love God by showing them how much He loves us starts right now. Church, if you've ever been to my hometown in Santa Fe, New Mexico, that would be a treat. I mean, Santa Fe is, it's beautiful and it's amazing. And one thing you'll do is you'll discover that this little city, if you will, Santa Fe, it really is a, well, it's a, it's a small town of picturesque views. I mean, it's entrenched, right, in northern New Mexico culture. You've got, you've got the mountains and you've got, I mean, it's just, it's just so amazing. And I believe that's why so many tourists go there. You know, it's like, what are we going to do? We're going to Santa Fe. We want to see Santa Fe. We want to see the plaza. We want to see the mountains. We want to experience fall. It's just, it's just amazing. And that's the hometown. That's where I was born. And that's where I grew up. And tons and tons and tons of tourists came and they come to visit the city of faith. That's what it's known as Santa Fe, the city of faith. And I started to think about the tourists and I started to think, and actually, I actually came across this story about my hometown in Santa Fe. You go, what was that? Well, it's, it goes like this, right? So interesting story. It says, one day while visiting Santa Fe, New Mexico, there were a group of tourists admiring the Plaza Square in downtown Santa Fe when they noticed a local man sitting on a bench there underneath the tree. He was rather old-looking fellow, and one tourist decided to go and make conversation with the man. He asked him if he was a local Santa Fean. Well, sure, yeah, born and raised here. Yep, all the days of my life. Well, in a rather patronizing way, the tourist asked the man, well, were there any great men born in this city? Were there any great men born in this city? Without even thinking, the old man replied, nope, only babies. Only babies. Isn't that the truth? And you go, well, Ben, what's the point to that story? Well, think about it like this, okay? Every person who is a born-again believer starts life as a baby in Christ. That's where we all start, right? Because here's what we're thinking. We're thinking that as men begin to grow, are there any great spiritual giants? No, they all started the same way as us. They all started, right? And whether you're, you're a new convert at six or you're a new convert at 60, that person is still a new Christian. And what does he need to do, church? He needs to grow in Christ. Can I get an amen? That's really what we need to do. We need to continue to grow, okay? Now, listen, here's a tragedy. A baby Christian who's been saved for 40 years, that's a tragedy, let me say it again. A baby Christian who has been saved, I've been walking with Jesus 40 years, but you're still a baby Christian. That's a tragedy. That's a tragedy. In other words, if you've been walking with God for 40 years and you're still a spiritual baby wanting the milk of the word versus the meat, that something's wrong. Something's wrong. That's not good. Why? Because God intends for us to grow. He, God intends for us to mature so that we can be a positive, positive influence in the lives of others. Let me say this again. God didn't save you just to save you. He saved you so that he can use you and so that he can, you can be a positive influence in all those around you. All those that you come across, you can be that positive influence. That's what he, it's, it's all part of growth. See, God has intended for you and I to mature 
as believers. He wants us to grow. He wants us to grow. Now, as we come to Genesis chapter 14, you're probably thinking, Ben, what does your little life in Santa Fe and little story have to do with Genesis 14? Well, think about it like this for just a moment, okay? In Genesis 14, we discover something so amazing, a little nugget of truth, that if you just read it, it just you, you might miss it. You go, what's that? We discover that Abram is actually becoming a more mature believer. You go, what? Wait a minute, I thought it was about Melchizedek. No, 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 stay with me, okay? We're going to see that. And you go, well, pastor, 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 here, I got a question. What is it? You go, how do you know? How do you know he's becoming a believer? Well, listen, there are five traits, probably more, but I found five traits in our little study that Abram learns on his way to becoming an even more believer, five of them. Now, we'll talk about him as we go through, and then we'll actually come through, come back at the end of our study, but we're going to see five. I've only given you five. There's probably more. Actually, there's six. There's one that I actually found as I remind myself now. So as we go through verses 17 through 24, let's see if we can pull out Abram becoming a more mature believer. You go, well, Ben, again, how do you know? Well, let me remind you about Abram's life. No, 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 I'm not going to go all the way back to the Ur of Chaldees, but think about this. In chapter 12, what did we do? We found out that Abram went through a test. God gave him a test. Do you guys remember what that test was? It was a famine in the land, okay? Now, remember, Abram has been walking with God. He's been hearing God's voice. He knows the Spirit of God in his heart. All of a sudden, bump, 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 there's a famine. What do we do? Do you remember what Abram does? He heads off to Egypt. Oh, we got to get out of here, Sarah. Oh, my goodness. I don't know what we're going to do. We're going to starve to death. I know there's food in Egypt. Let's go. Right? And we're just like, you and I who, who've read this, we're like, no, 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 stop, stop. Don't go, Egypt. It's not going to be good for you. It's not going to be good for you. Guys, we could actually say that Abram at this point could be, well, he made an immature choice. He made an immature decision that led his family to Egypt. It's not a good choice. And you say, well, what do you mean? He's been hearing God's voice. He has the promises of God. Can I get an amen? amen. But, he, but, he's not, but he's not listening. He's, he's making a choice. Oh, we got to go. We got to go. And, and on our way, on our way, sweetie, you're good looking. Tell him you're my sister, okay? Because I don't know what's going to happen. Tell him you're my sister. And, and again, think about it. Think about it, guys. That's what's going on. But he's growing. Turn to your neighbor and say, I'm growing. I'm still growing. Because look, because look, that's, that was a bad choice. We reprimanded him. We go, oh, Abram, Abram, don't do that. But, but think about this, guys. In chapter 13, we discover he made a good choice. Why? Because remember, the land has grown, the, 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 the lot, lots uh, uh, inheritance had grown, his, his employees had grown, and both of them, and, and remember what happens, they come together, and, and instead of fighting his own family, remember, he tells Lot, he comes humbly before him, and he says, guys, let, Lot, let's not quarrel, you choose which way you want to go. If you go to the right, I'll go to the left. If you go to the left, I'll go to the right. It's, it's okay. It's okay, but if we stay together, the land is not going to support us right here. We've just got so many. It's a lot. That's a good choice. That's a good choice. That's mature. That's a mature. That's a good decision. And so Abraham is growing. How is he growing, guys? He's seeking God. He's making, listen to me, good choices. He's becoming mature. 
I got to be honest with you, that's hard in life, is it not? Because think about this, if you've ever been to the Florida coast or have you ever been to uh, the California coast, wherever it might be, any, the east or west coast, doesn't matter, if you get in the water, there's something that happens, okay? If you get in the water and all of a sudden it's just a really nice day and you go up, here's what happens, guys. You can stand in the water and the little waves will come and they'll tickle your feet. And you go, oh, how cute. But us being more curious, we want to go a little bit farther in, a little bit farther in, a little bit farther in, and all of a sudden you've got, you got water up to your knees and then your waist, but now the waves are a little bit bigger. They're not just tickling your feet. What do they want to do? They want to knock you down. At the same time, you know the toe, the undertoe is coming back, and it wants to knock you down. So not only do you have waves coming this way, you have the water and the land underneath going that way. That's a metaphor for life. That's a metaphor for life. And so what happens, guys, is you go, oh, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Wait a minute, let's see. Okay, life lessons. There are times when I have to watch this. There are times when I have to make good decisions. There are times when I have to grow as a believer. There are times when I have to say, no, I'm not going to go farther in the water because I know the undertow is going to take me down and something's going to happen, so I'm going to back up a little bit. All of that is the same because what will happen is eventually it will try to pull you out to sea and kill you, and that's what life tries to do. Life tries to do that at times, if you don't make good choices or you're not mature or you're not walking or you're not seeking God or you're not asking for counsel. Well, Abraham's growing. Abraham's growing. And so tonight I thought, well, we need to talk about that. We need to talk about growing in the Lord to maturity. We have to mature. But we got to ask ourselves a question. What does it mean to be mature in Christ? What does it mean for me, Right? If we were to look up the word mature in the dictionary, here's what we would discover. If you're taking note, you could jot this down. Mature means having reached an advanced stage of mental or emotional development characteristic of an adult. That's what it just means. That's what, that's what Mr. Webster or any of the dictionaries say. This is the point. You are maturing. You are maturing, right? You have reached an advanced stage. But I thought, okay. That's a little too vague. I want spiritual maturity. Tell me what it means to grow spiritually. What it means to grow spiritually. Well, spiritual maturity is more. It says this, spiritual maturity is the process that begins first and foremost when a person gives their life to Jesus. Some, some place you'll hear it, they accept the Lord. You've heard it that, right? You've accepted the Lord. Other places say you've been born again. Okay, that's when spiritual maturity starts to begin, once you've made that choice. That's why, church, it's so important when you're talking to somebody, you go, hey, when did you give your life to Jesus? I'm not trying to offend you. I just want to know when the day you should have started walking. And we say, well, you know what? I really haven't. Now, I'm interested in church. I like the things of God, but I haven't given my life to the Lord. Well, then we've got to start at that point. Let's talk about that. Oh, well, 1986, I gave my life to Jesus. I remember 17 years, I walked forward, and I remember receiving, and I remember that my life was, help me, church, transformed. Why do I say that? Because we don't want to conform. Well, I'm just conformed to being a, a Christian. I conformed. I modified my behavior. How did I do that? Well, I learned to say, God bless you, when somebody didn't sneeze. I learned to call people sister and brother and say, hallelujah. I could conform to that. But more importantly, I'd rather my life be transformed. Transformed means changed from the inside out. That's what I want to see. And so that's when it starts. 
Okay, it starts there. When he or she is born again of the Holy Spirit, then chooses to live in Christ. In Christ. A spiritually mature person knows that their word means everything. They are seldom to take on a new commitment. They take time to discern whether it's consistent with their values and if there's time and energy to devote to something. That's a spiritually mature person. But what does the Bible say? What is the Bible? We know it's the process that begins, but what does the Bible say? Well, here's what the Word of God says when it comes to the important topic. Jot this down. It's Ephesians chapter 4, 11 through 14. Paul is writing to the Ephesian church, and I want to give you the Word of God because this is what we need to stand on. Paul writes, and it says, He himself, speaking of Christ, gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers. What for, Paul? For the equipping of the saints for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. Why? Till we all come to the unity of faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man, to the measure and stature of the fullness of Christ, that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men and the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting. What did Paul just say? Your attention, please. Paul said, listen, here's how it should go down. You should be able to be in God's word and growing, right? Because he's going to give some to be apostles. He's going to give some to be prophets, evangelists. He's going to be some pastors, teachers. And here's the reason, to equip you guys for the work of the ministry. You see, sometimes in church, we got it wrong. We get it wrong. Pastor, what are you doing? Pastor, where are you going? How come you're not doing this? How come you're not doing that? Boy, we pay you and you should be full time and you should be doing this. But Paul says, you guys should be doing the work of the ministry. Well, what's your job? My job is to equip you to do the work of the ministry. See? Amen. That's what, that's what, that's a hearty amen. But that's what, when you go, what should it be for? Look at it, guys, for the edifying of the body of Christ. That's your job. That's your job. Pastor? Yes. How come you haven't been visiting hospital visit? Because it's your job. Well, I can't do it like you. No, you can. See, God has equipped you. You know how to go and pray and love on people. That's amazing. That's amazing. And so we see. But one of the biggest things we see, and Hebrews is going to say it too, but I want, to, I want you to see this. It says that so we want to be equipped, right, so that we're no longer to be children. No longer to be children. Tossed to and fro. Carried away with every wind of doctrine. Okay, no, it's yours because you're in the front row. When Noah came to this church, he was little. He was young. Okay? And as cute as Noah was, and, and, and let's see, you guys been here, what, about seven, eight years? Okay, so he was about 10? You're 16 or 17? 16. So think about it. We didn't want to keep Noah as, I mean, as cute as he was, he still wanted to grow. He wanted to grow and continue to grow. So even now, as, as God is beginning to use Noah, it's mind-blowing. And whatever God has called him, but see, that's the whole point. He says, when it comes to spiritual, we don't want to be that cute little 10-year-old going, oh, wonderful. He says, I want you to grow. I want you to grow. I want you to be mature believers so that you're not tossed. When, when doctrine comes in and says, hey, did you hear the new thing about in church? Oh, man. And I mean, it's just, you go, no. 
No. Can I tell you the new thing that's going on in the world today that just blows my mind? Can I just tell you that? There's something going around right now, and it's called grave soaking. Anybody hear that? Grave soaking. Grave soaking is you go to somebody who is a spiritual giant, and you lay on their grave to soak up the anointing. So, so there was a spirit like, okay, Billy Graham died. I want, I want to be an evangelist. I'm going to go lay on Billy Graham's grave and say, okay, I'm just going to soak up the anointing so I can be the next Billy Graham. What do we say to that? No, that's not biblical. But see, there are people who go, wow, yes, that's amazing. That's what I want. And we start looking for graves all over the place thinking, you know, my, my, my grandma, Tia Lola, whatever, you know, there she is, and I want to, you know, whatever it might be. So that's what he's saying to us, guys. We want to grow, so when stuff comes down the pipe, you go, no, sorry, that's not right. That's not biblical. It's not in the Word of God. I'm not going to be tossed to and fro. That's what spiritual maturity is. Listen to the way the writer of Hebrews puts it, guys. Hebrews chapter 13, if you want to jot this down, verses 7 through 9. He says, remember those who rule over you, who have spoken the word of God to you, whose faith follow considering the outcome of their conduct. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Do not be carried about with various and strange doctrine. For it is good that the heart is established by grace, not with foods which have not have not profited those who have been occupied by them. The key verse here, guys, is don't be carried away with strange doctrine. Don't be coming in. Don't be, oh, you know, this is the latest thing. Pastor, you want to get people in the, in the, ch- in the church? Here's what we got to do. No, 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 no. That's not spiritual maturity. Spiritual maturity, according to Scripture, is marked by the ability to not be carried away and led by strange winds of false doctrine. But it's more, it's being thoroughly grounded in God's word so that you're not deceived. You're not deceived. Now let's chat for a moment. Let's just chat, just talk a little bit. As we go through our text this evening, we should all come away tonight with an understanding that first and foremost, we're all growing in the Lord. Okay? We're all growing in the Lord. And maturity doesn't, it doesn't just happen. Guys, maturity takes work. Maturity takes work. Now, when we, we used Noah as a reference earlier. Noah's 16. Think about this, guys. Noah was going to grow up anyway, but he's maturing in the Lord. He's maturing in the Obando family. He's become responsible. He's driving. He, all of those things. That's maturity versus just growing. Do you guys, does, that, does that make sense? Because we can all just kind of grow, but he's maturing, and it takes work. And I believe, guys, if we'll go through this, the text, guys, will inspire us to want to grow more. The text will inspire us to be hungry, to learn more about the maturity process. You go, what do you mean? Well, let me give you an example. If you are reading, right, the one-year Bible, if you're reading that every day, which you should be, Why? I mean, it's just amazing because you can fellowship with people. But let me just say this, okay? In today's reading, we learned this. Let me give you an example. Joshua chapter 1, verse 8 and 9, we read this. The book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate in it day and night, 
that you may observe to do all according to all that is written in it, for then you will make your way prosperous and you will have good success. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and in good courage. Do not be afraid or dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you everywhere you go. That's one of our Bible readings for April the 10th, 2019. That's one of our Bible readings. You go, okay, Ben, so, so how do I grow and mature? How do I, how do I, I don't understand the mature process. Well, the book of Joshua just gave it to us. You go, what do you mean? To grow in the Lord and mature, he just said we need to meditate on the Word of God day and night. Meditate. Okay? Now think about this. Think about this. Reading and meditating on God's Word daily. That's what we need to do. Now, here's my thought. I started going through my day, okay, on Monday and Tuesday. I started going through my day, and I started asking myself, Okay, how many opportunities did I have to actually read the Word of God? Now, I'm not talking about getting up and having your quiet time. That's your intimate time with God. That's where you get a cup of coffee and you sit down and you have just a great conversation. I'm talking about throughout the day. Everybody with me? You got tracking with me? Okay. How many times? So I started looking at my day, right? And so yesterday, you know what? I was waiting for a haircut. And I actually wait, waited for 45 minutes before I got on the chair. That's a great place to read God's Word. That's a great place to open it up and just read. Just read. Meditating on it. Meditating on it. Right? What a great place. There were moments in the day, guys, where we read God's Word versus what do we do? We look at our phones, don't we? Or we look at magazines. If you're sitting at a, at a barbershop or whatever, you go, oh, here's the latest Sports Illustrated. Oh, here's the latest thing. But I'm thinking, if I want to grow in mature... I want to be in God's word. And so I have to pray. Now, again, I'm preaching to you, but I'm preaching to me. And I'm saying, listen, if I want to grow in God's word, if I want to, if I, if, if, if I want to, I pray, God, give me a greater hunger for your word. I'll tell you one thing. Can, can we be honest in church? Can I give you permission to be honest? I won't leave anywhere without this. But I seldom take this. Well, you go, well, I got you there, Ben, because I got my Bible on the floor. I got, my, I got my Bible app. I can read it on my phone. That's cool. That's cool. You're better, you're better than me because I'm tempted to go to Facebook and all that other stuff. I'd rather have my face in the book. And so, again, there's opportunities, is there not? There's opportunities, guys, to read God's Word. How many times at night... I don't feel like watching TV. I I can't sleep. I'm tossing and turning. And we don't read God's word. Let's give me something, Lord. Give me something. Give me something. We should have Bibles. I could name another one, but you all know that. That's your place where you can read the Bible if you spend some time in it sitting down. Anyway, so there's always places to read the word, is there not? Always. Always. Let me tell you a trick of the devil. Oh, you've already read it. Oh, come on. Don't you want to see what so-and-so's doing on Instagram? Don't you want to see what so... I'd re- Listen, if I'm going to mature, I need this. I need this. I went to Calvary Chapel and Pastor Ben said we shouldn't get on Facebook. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is I, I want to make this a priority to read God's Word. And just, just, just read it. 
Study it. Underline it. Hey, Jim, do you know what I read today? Do you know what I read today? This is amazing. This is, check it out. Look. Oh, oh, Pastor, you know what I read today? Hey, hey, Ryan, you know what I read today? Check this out. This is cool. And, and again, what does it do? It just, it just develops us, and it helps us, and it helps us. Because the Word of God just said, here's what it is. If you'll read it and you'll meditate on it. What, what, what's a great place to meditate on God's Word? Stoplights. You're driving around the city, you go to a stoplight, you go, oh, let's see. Mm-hmm. Oh. But what if we didn't do that? Then we just went, wow. First John 1, 9. God, this is He says, be courageous. I'm sorry, not First John. Joshua 1, 9. Be strong, right? Have I not commanded you? Be strong. Lord, I need your strength today. What does that mean to be strong, Lord? I know what it means to be weak, but I want to be strong. He says, be of good courage. Don't be afraid, nor be dismayed. Why? For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Oh. The next thing you hear, beep. Oh. It's green, let's go, because you've been so in the Word. You've been so in the Word. You've been so in the Word. So what will happen? You'll meditate on it, and then the Word says, you'll obey it, and if you obey it, you'll grow into a maturity. You'll grow into maturity. That's what he's saying. So that's what we want to talk about today. Let's see if Abraham is growing in maturity, okay? So let's jump into our text. Now remember, let me just give you real quick... Last week, the gospel according to Lot, if you recall, Lot was taken by the four eastern kings. Abraham hears about it. He goes after Lot, right? He's going to rescue him. We would actually call it Operation Abram's Entebbe. You can look at that, 1976, Operation Entebbe. Uh, a whole different scenario, but the same as Abraham's. And so Abraham goes after Lot, right? Notice verse 14. He says, now, when Abram heard his brother, this is his nephew, was taken captive, he armed 318 servants who were born in his own house and went in pursuit as far as Dan. He divided his forces against them by night, and he and his servants attacked them. And they pursued him as far as Hobah, which is north of Damascus. And he brought back, notice 16, he brought back all the goods and also brought back his brother Lot and his goods, as well as the women and the people. Way to go, Abram. Man, what a great victory. You went up, right? You went farther all the way to Dan, and then you went up to Damascus, and you got everybody back. God was the victory. He was victory, man. That was amazing. What a great route. He brings us. Nobody's hurt, and we got all the stuff back. Way to go, God. Abraham won, and now he's back on his way home. And he keeps, and keep this in mind, guys, he brought back all the goods and the people and, and all his nephew's goods and all of everything is coming back home. Amen. So what does it mean to be a mature believer? Well, let's take a look, okay? So that's where we are. Look at verse 17. Then it says, right after this, the king of Sodom went out to meet him in the valley of Shavah. That is the king's valley. After his return from the de- defeat of uh, Chedalomir and the kings who were with them, all four kings. Now, let me remind you, we know that the king of Sodom was Bera. Everybody say Bera. Because that's, his name means son of evil. Now, I think you're kind of, you know, you're kind of planning your kid's future when you call him son of evil. Right? It's like, it's like naming your son Jeeves. You kind of know what he's going to be, right? Tell me a butler. This is Jeeves. I mean, that's kind of how it goes, right? So, so it's like Bera, king of Evil comes out, right? We know he's the king of Sodom. He's the son of evil, king of Sodom. What does Sodom mean? Burning. Burning, right? This dude comes out to meet Abraham. And I'm going, ever wonder, guys, 
What does he want? Well, we know what he wants, right? He wants his people back. He wants the stuff. He's like, hey, thank you. So he meets them. But we have to unpack it just a little bit more. Here, why? Because, guys, this king meets Abram in the valley of Shiva. The valley of Shiva. Okay? Now, here's what I want you to make a note. Everybody see that in your Bible, okay? Everybody see that in verse 17? Can I get an amen? Look at it. Valley of Shiva. Here's what I want you to write next to it. This was one of the valleys surrounding Jerusalem. Jerusalem. And possibly the Kidron Valley. Possibly the Kidron Valley. And you go, Ben, 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 Ben. How do you know? How do you know? Okay, you got to jot this down. Adam and Tiffany were there. Nathalie was there. Alice was there. They know. They've seen the Kidron Valley. But here's where we get, here's where we go. This is what's going on. 2 Samuel chapter 18, verse 18. Jot that down somewhere because it says this. Now, Absalom, you guys remember Absalom? in his lifetime had taken up and set a pillar for himself, which is in the king's valley. For he said, I have no son to keep my name in remembrance. He called the pillar after his own name. And this day it's called Absalom's monument. Everybody see that? Everybody hear that, right? Absalom's monument. You go, okay, so what is, what is that? If you go to Israel today, now we didn't go. Okay, I found this out later. But if you go just off the Mount of Olives, across from the city of David, now to those of you going, I don't know what you're talking about. I know, I understand, which means you have to go with us in 2021, okay? You have to be there, okay? Start saving your money now. But here's the thing. If you go to the Mount of Olives, if the Kidron Valley runs, there is actually a monument. Now, we didn't see it because we were on the Olives facing the Temple Mount, but it's actually this side of the Mount of Olives. And there is actually right now, there's something called Absalom's Monument. It's like, wow, it was right there. Why didn't we see this? Why didn't we visit this? I didn't even know it was there. And here's what they do. Tradition says that the Jewish people come and they bring their little kids and the little kids throw rocks at the monument. And the parents say, you throw rocks at Absalom's monument because I want you to see what happens to somebody who don't, doesn't obey God. So you have these little Jewish kids going, look at that. That's what happens when you don't obey God because they want to put the fear of God in their heart. This is, you obey God. I'm just like, wow. That's cool, but guess where it is? It's in Jerusalem. It's near the Kidron Valley. And I'm going, cool, cool. In a similar story to, to who? To Bera coming out. In a similar story, we all know the story of Jesus, right? Do you guys remember Jesus fasted 40 days and 40 nights? Right? And then he was taken out where? Well, he was out in the wilderness and he was taken. And who was the first one to tempt him when he had finished? You go, Satan. He was the first one that came out, right? According to Matthew, Mark, and Luke, after being baptized by John the Baptist, Jesus fasted 40 days and nights in the Judean desert. During that time, Satan appeared to Jesus and tried to tempt him. Do you guys remember that? We know the three temptations. For the sake of time, I can't go through all of this, but Jesus having refused each temptation, remember Satan finally departed and Jesus returned to Galilee to what? That's when he began his full-time ministry. You're like, oh yeah, I remember that. I'm going to go back and look at that. I'm going to look about the first temptation, okay? I'm going to look at that. Jesus was hungry. What was the first thing he said? Hey, if you're hungry, you're the son of God. Make these, make these, bread, make these stones bread. And of course, Jesus refuted each one. But here's the application. Here's what I want you to know. You got to jot this down. 
I want you to know that with Abram and Jesus, it seems after a great spiritual victory, that's when the enemy comes to attack. After a great spiritual victory, he's going to come right after that. Abram had just won the victory. He comes back. There's Bera. Jesus had just won a spiritual victory. He's beginning to start his ministry. Here comes Satan. I got to get to him. It's the same thing for us. When you guys are praying for somebody to get saved, and they get saved, and it's glorious, you can expect that attack to come. When you have a breakthrough in your life, a stronghold that you've been struggling with, and God comes in and he smashes that stronghold, and you set free, you can expect the enemy to come right there. It happens in Scripture, guys. It happens in our life. The reason I tell you this is so you can be aware of it. You can go, oh, oh, goodness. Now, it doesn't mean we're afraid of it, but we just know, okay, 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 it's coming. It's coming. I've started to grow into God again. It's coming. My husband and and wife reconciled. It's coming. Great victories, great spiritual victories. Boom. My prodigal came home. Watch out, it's coming. It's coming. And so again, you go, I'm not afraid of that. I just know I want to be prepared. Okay, okay. We used to say this in men's retreats. We used to say, hey, you're on the mountaintop here, man. People just, the men are singing. It's amazing. And they say, okay, we're going to go back to, we're going to go back to reality. And I guarantee you, you might get in a fight with your wife on Sunday afternoon. No, it's a great retreat. You kidding me? Jesus showed up. I'm fired up. And you get home and your wife's like, I mean, it just happens, right? Because the enemy comes in right then and there. You barely get off the mountain and boom. Or vice versa. Vice versa. So, now we're introduced to another king. Look at verse 18. Then Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine, and he was the priest of God most high. And he blessed him and said, Blessed be Abram of God most high possessor of heaven and earth, and blessed be God most high, who has delivered your enemies into your hand. And he gave him a tithe of all. So important, guys, because if you read this and you read it, it sounds like they're talking to one person, but actually it's changing back and forth. And I'll show you here in just a minute. Now, here's the problem. We don't know much about Melchizedek. I wish we did. Here's what happens. He walks on the pages of scriptures, and then he walks on out. Okay? He has no beginning. He has no genealogy. We have no idea where he comes from. All we know is what we have here. And you go, what is it? Well, number one, if you're taking note, you can jot this down. So important. Melchizedek is more like a title, not a name. You need to grasp that. It's more like the title. His title means king. it's king of righteousness. King of righteousness. It's, that's, that's what Melchizedek means. Okay? You have Melchi, and then you have Zedek, king of righteousness. Now, the Bible also says, if you'll go back, guys, he says he is the king of, si- of Salem. He's the king of Salem, right? Another name for Jerusalem where we get peace. Peace. So now you have king of righteousness, king of peace. King of peace. Melchizedek would be the king of peace. When I got back from my, from my victory, Abraham says, son of evil came to me and he, 
we're going to have this dialogue. We're going to pick it up back in verse 20. But, but then he says, but another king came out and it was Melchizedek, but that's not his name. That's really his title because he's the king of righteousness, king of peace. Okay. And so he's coming out. And so what do we know about him? Well, Hebrews chapter seven, verses one and two says this. For Melchizedek, king of Salem, priest of the Most High God, who met Abraham returning from the slaughter of the kings and blessed him, to whom Abraham also gave a tenth part of all, first being translated king of righteousness, then also Salem meaning king of peace. So what Hebrews does is just reiterate to us what, who this guy is, who this guy is. The Hebrew name, again, guys, for Melchizedek itself means king of righteousness. In Psalm 110, verse 4, here's what it says. The Lord has sworn and will not relent. You are a priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. Now, this is speaking prophetically of Christ. Now, let me tell you, okay? If you've ever heard the word theophany or Christophany, okay, that's what some people believe that's what's going on right here. A Christophany, guys, is a pre-incarnate Jesus coming before he actually is born and comes in the flesh. It's called a theophany, God in the flesh, or a Christophany. Some people believe this was Melchizedek. This was Melchizedek. Because again, think about this. God had no beginning, has no end, has no genealogy. He always was. You go, oh, yeah, makes sense. So Melchizedek walks off, okay? Hebrews chapter 5 and 6 also says this. He also says in another place, you are a priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. Now, your attention, please, I need to show you something, okay, very important, okay? He was a king, everybody say king, but the Bible says he was a priest. You guys see a problem with that? You go, no. I know one thing, my Jesus is a king and a priest. Can I get an amen? Here's the problem. Here's the problem, something very interesting, because we know that Melchizedek is a king and a priest, but in those days, guys, you could not you could not be both. You could either be a king or you could be a priest, but you could not be both. You go, what do you mean? Let me give you a quick example. 1 Samuel 13, 8 through 13, let me read this to you, okay? It says this, then he waited seven days, he's speaking of Saul, okay, Saul is who? He's a king. Saul is a king, right? Do you remember King Saul? King Saul started off very small, but then started to believe his own press clippings, and he got what? He got a big head, and he thought he was all this, and now we find him here. Then they waited seven days according to the time set by Samuel. Samuel's a prophet. Samuel did not come to Gilgal, and the people were scattered. So Saul said, bring a burnt offering and a peace offering here to me. And he offered the burnt offering bad move. The Bible says, and now it happened as soon as he had finished presenting a burnt offering. Why? Because only the priest or the prophet could present the burnt offering. A king couldn't do it. As soon as, look at, look, 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 look. As soon as he had finished presenting the burnt offering, that Samuel came and Saul went out to meet him and to greet him. And Samuel said, what have you done? And Saul said, when I saw that the people were scattered from me and that you did not come within the days appointed that the Philistines would gather at Michmash. He said, the Philistines will now come down on me at Gilgal. I have not made supplication to the Lord. Therefore, I felt compelled to offer a burnt offering. And Samuel said to Saul, mm, you have done foolishly. 
you have not kept the commandments of the Lord your God, which he commanded you. For now the Lord would have established your kingdom over Israel forever. Okay, it was in the commandment, guys, it was here that Saul, a king, could not be a priest. A priest could not be a king. And, and here we find Melchizedek being what? Both a king and a priest, and yet our Jesus still is a king and a priest. But all we know from Scripture is he walks off them. He's a historical person. He was a type of Christ, and he was a king, and he was a priest. And what does he do? He comes out, guys, to meet Abram. Notice what he comes out with. You guys see that? He comes out with bread and wine. Bread and wine, okay? Now, to the believer, we get excited. We're like, bread and wine? Wow. But let me just give you this, okay? In the context, this means it was just a ration for the troops in appreciation for Abraham's victory. That's the context. He came out and he said, here it is, okay? Everybody got that. But, but for you and I as the believer, right, we know that when it comes, when we hear that, what do we hear? Bread and wine. Communion. Everybody say communion. It's important. Why? Because the Greek word for communion is the word koinonia. Koinonia, okay? And so you go, well, why is that important? Why are we learning all this? Well, I want to give you the definition because I want you to see. Koinonia means community, okay? It means partnership. It means generous sharing at the heart of the word. And it's translated into English, fellowship. Fellowship. That's koinonia, Okay, it's the breaking of the bread. And here's what I love. I don't know if it jumped out at you, but it jumped out at me. Here comes Melchizedek. We know he's a type of Christ. And he offers what? And he offers fellowship. And, and if he's a type of Christ, here's what I love about this. You go, what's that, Ben? That God, my God, he's interested in having fellowship with me. He's not wanting a robot. Yes, Lord, I will obey. Amen. I have to pray. He's going, no, no, no. I, I want to I fellowship with you. I want you to talk to me. How are you doing? It's personal. It's personal. I'm just like, wow, guys, it's personal. It's authentic. A relationship has to be authentic. Oh, I get it. Okay. Because the Bible says, guys, is, think about it. It's community, it's partnership, and it's fellowship. I think too many believers, guys, get caught up in the fact of the do's and the don'ts and the rules of Christianity that they forget they're in a relationship. A relationship is a two-way street. It's talking, it's listening, it's sharing. Don't you love when you give God your ideas, even if they're crazy, he doesn't go, really? <laughs> he, he loves you and he's, he's it's just, it, I love that. So he comes out. And he, and, and he has fellowship. The bread and wine, guys, not only is it fellowship, not only is it koinonia, but check this out. It also typifies Christ's body and shed blood, for it is the cross that makes it possible for the heavenly priesthood of Christ. Wow. Wow. Verse 19, And he blessed him, and he blessed Abram, the God of the Most High, possessor of heaven and earth. And he blessed them to be the most, God the Most High, who delivered the enemies into your hands. So Melchizedek comes and he says, blessed be Abraham. He blesses Abraham. God is blessed, right? He says, this is how it is. He's the possessor of heaven and earth. And then he does this. Listen, it says, and he, now I want you to see he, that's Abram, gives a tithe of all. Uh-oh, pastor's going to talk about tithing. 
Okay, no, think about it. I don't want you to miss this. Abraham gave Melchizedek a tithe of all he had. A tithe. A tithe means 10%, tenth. Abraham comes and does this. Now, listen to what Warren Wearsby says. Like, I like the way he writes. He said, Abraham honored Melchizedek by paying him tithes of all. This is the first instance of tithing in the Bible, and it occurs years before the Mosaic law. Hebrews 7, uh, Hebrews 7, 4 to 10 indicates that these tithes were paid in type to Christ, suggesting that believers today are to follow Abraham's example and bring the tithes to the Lord. Bring the tithes to the Lord. Here's what's interesting. That's whenever you bring your tithe, okay, it's to the Lord. Everybody understand that? When you write out that check and you drop it in the box, you are not to dictate what you want that money to go to. It's to the Lord. Once you let go, boom, it's God that's yours. Very important. But then I'll have people come to me and go, hey, hey, tithing isn't taught in the New Testament. Why are you, why are you preaching tithing? Why are you preaching 10%? Well, if we're going to get technical... If you want to really understand the tithe, it's not really 10%. If you really study it, it's actually 23.5%. If you do an Old Testament study, 23.5% of the first fruits should go to the Lord. Hey, I'm good with 10, God. I'm good with 10. I'm good. But the New Testament doesn't teach that. No, it actually teaches more. That's, you should give 100% to God. You should give it all to God. And then say, okay, God. And then God will give you back what, he, what you need to live on and prosper and grow. But you should, give, you should be willing to give it all. For what God has done for us, he saved our souls. He pulled us from the miry clay. We should be willing to give it all. Why? We can't take it with us. No, but I can move it to the next generation. Well, that's true. But listen, we should be, here, here's the thing. We should have our hearts willing, willing. It's just money. It's just money. But you go, okay, 10%, okay, whatever. Here it is, right? Here's the first one. A mature believer, guys. Oh, let me go back. Let me go back. You see, Abraham refused the riches of the world, but shared his wealth with the Lord, and God richly blessed him. Abraham goes, no, 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 I don't want the riches of the world. I'm just going to share my wealth with the Lord. But here's, the, here's what I said. A mature believer understands the giving principle and gives with a joyful heart. You understand the giving principle. You get it. It's in your heart. And here's what we say at Calvary. There should never be a disconnect between our heart and our wallet. We give, and, and joyful means hilariously. Hilariously. <laughs> Woo! Yes! Oh, man, that's awesome. God, what are you going to do with this? This would be great. This would be awesome. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. When you give that way, man, I just, I tell you, he'll bless you. He'll bless you. And it may not always come back to you money-wise, but you're going to be blessed. You're going to be blessed. And see, the problem is people don't teach on tithing, guys, because they're afraid. I don't want to offend the people, but I'm offending you by not talking about tithing because God wants to bless you. And he wants to make sure there's no disconnect from your heart to your wallet and you give and you give hilariously and you give abundantly and you give joyfully and you give a tithe or not even a tithe. You don't give 10, you give 20, you give 30 or whatever you give, but you give hilariously and you say, God, man, that's amazing. But the problem in churches today is this, guys. The problem goes, well, somebody else will take care of that. Well, we can't make it. Oh, we're, I don't know, we're a little short. It's, it's, no, listen, that's the first fruit. God, this is amazing. I've seen God do more with my 90 than with my 100. 
I've seen it. And then I get blessings out of the woodwork. I'm just like, hey, now they go, hey, by the way, somebody gave us a like, somebody gave us a gift card to you. What? Yeah, date night is yay. Wow. But I want to do the work of the ministry. I want to see people saved. I want to make sure your kids have a great place to, to be in Sunday school. I want to make sure that you have a comfortable place. When it's hot outside, it's cold in here. When it's when it's cold out there, you're warm. I want to have all of that. But it takes, it takes money. But not only money, it takes time. Are you tithing 10% of your time? Are you giving to the Lord? Lord, what can I give you my time? How about this, your talents? Your talents. Well, we're running out of time here, guys. So we're going to finish up. We're going to finish up, and Josh is going to come up. We're going to close here, but let me just read it. Now, the king of Sodom said to Abraham, give me the persons and take the goods for yourself. But Abraham said to the king of Sodom, I have raised my hand to the Lord Most High, possessor of heaven and earth, that I will take nothing. From the thread to a sandal strap, I will not take anything that is yours, lest you say I have made Abraham rich. Verse 24, except only what the young men have eaten and the portion of men who went with me, Abner, Eshkol, and Mamre, let them have their portion. You guys see this? Abraham's maturing. He's growing. He's growing. Okay? Because king of Sodom, right, comes out and says, hey, listen, it's yours. Take it. And I just want the people back. He's like, no, no, no. It's yours. It's yours. Jot these down. We're going to go through them real quick. You ready? These are traits that we can find in Abraham and apply them to ourselves. Number one, mature believers make wise choices. Can I get an amen? We pray, we seek counsel, and we make wise choices. It would have been easy for Abraham to go, it's all mine. I went back and got him. Where were you? He says, no, 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 no. I'm going to wake up my choice. I don't want anybody to say, oh, I funded that church. Oh, I did this. No, wise choices. We need to make wise choices in every decision of our life. I want a wise choice. Number two, mature believers avoid being entangled with worldly people and worldly issues. World, mature believers avoid that. You go, what do you mean? Well, 2 Timothy 2.4 says, No one engaged in warfare entangles himself in the affairs of this life that he may please him who enlisted him as a soldier. Guys, we be careful. We don't want to be entangled. We don't want to be caught up with the king of Sodom. We don't want to be back in Egypt. A mature believer says, no, I'm not going to hang out with worldly people because they're going to drag me down. And I'm not going to hang out and, 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 and just think about worldly issues. I want to grow in God. Number three, this is a good one. You ready? Mature believers rely on God, dot, 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 always. Rely on God always. What does that mean, Ben? In the good times and the troublesome times, we rely on God. We rely on God. In the good times, guys, when we're in the mountaintop and things are going good, and life is amazing, and there's money in the bank, and the bills are paid, and there's food on the table. Praise you, Jesus. We rely on you for everything. And when things get really, really rough, we go, I, I trust you, Lord. I trust you. Number four, a mature believer. I love this in Abraham. A mature believer won't take advantage of the mistakes of others. Abraham says, I'll take nothing 
I don't want any loot nor plunder. Guys, people are going to make mistakes. People in our jobs, people in our school, people in our lives, and mature believers won't take advantage of those mistakes. They won't say, oh, how can I capitalize on this? Oh, you blew it, man. Maybe I can squeeze in and get that promotion. Maybe I can, ooh, if I can just butt up because... Let me, did, did I tell you? Did I tell you? That guy made a mistake. He made a mistake. He blew it. Look at him. Ah, I'm, I'm going to be next in line. Guys, we don't do that. Mature believers go, man, that is a bummer. And you know why that's a bummer? Because that could be me. How many of you made your fair share of, of mess-ups and mistakes in life? <laughs> your fair share, you're like, oh, too many to count, man. And so why are we, again, guys, we don't want to take advantage of anybody else. And I love what Abraham does. He says, I'm going to trust God. I don't want anybody to say that I made Abraham rich. Here's the number fifth. When a mature believer must convey true contentment in the Lord. True contentment in the Lord. Let me say it like this. If you're plus six million or you're minus six million, you're still content in the Lord. You're going to convey that. You're going to say, man, man. And we said it like this. Jesus is enough. Jesus is enough. I like what my wife says. If my husband wigs out, my kids wig out, my job falls, my house blows away, our dog runs away because Ben let the gate open. No, I'm just kidding. That's... She says, Jesus is enough. Jesus is enough. I'll miss my husband. I'll miss my kids. I mean, that's, that's, a, that's, a, that's a rough road to, to walk, but Jesus has to be enough. And we need to convey, mature believers, guys, convey our contentment in Jesus. We're content. And I don't want to use it as commonplace and cliche, right? How you doing, brother? I'm blessed. You know how we do that? I'm blessed. I'm too blessed to be stressed. I don't want to do I use that because, but I want to know people that I'm blessed. I'm, really? Really? Did you get a financial blessing? <laughs> no, but you know what? Here's the thing. Check it out. Check it out. You know how I'm blessed? You ready? I'm going to close with this. You ready? Today is National Siblings Day, and y'all are my brothers and sisters. What a blessing! What a blessing. Wow. I haven't thought about taking a picture of all y'all. This is, my, this, national, this is my brothers and sisters. This is him. This is it. And God says, man, you got your family, but then you got your family. You got your family. You got your family. And that's what we want to be here, guys. Mature believers know that this is family. And I don't care if this church grows to 100 people, a thousand people, ten thousand people, we have to keep that principle. We're family. You're family. And you belong. Hey, maybe that should be our next shirt, right? You're family and you belong here. Amen. Father, thank you for your word tonight and the truth in your word. Thank you for God Melchizedek. I know we could have spent hours and hours and hours on him. I thank you, God, that we're going to see and know when we get to heaven. And so I thank you for Jesus, Lord. I thank you for dying for him dying on the cross for us. And I pray with all of my heart that if anybody here, God, isn't really focused and committed and totally given their lives to you, Lord, that tonight they would be do that.
They would give their heart to you. And my prayer is this, Lord Jesus. I'm not asking them to believe in a bunch of Bible stories. I want them to believe in you. And to put their faith and trust in you. And that's my job here, to equip them, to help them grow. Trust you, Jesus. So you may pray. Hey, this is Pastor Josh. I hope this message has encouraged you in your walk with Jesus. If it has, we would love to hear your story of how it has impacted you, or especially if you responded to the invitation to receive Jesus into your heart as your Lord and Savior. To get in touch or to receive more information, please contact us by phone at 806-799-2227 or send an email to calvarylubbock at hotmail.com. Again, that phone number is 806-799-2227. Also, if you want to partner with us financially to take the gospel to West Texas and the world, please click on the Donate button on calvarychapellubbock.org. Thanks for listening to the podcast. May God richly bless you.